Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Key Life Fellowship Men's Bible Study. Pastor Kirk Hall is continuing his expository teaching through the Roman Epistle. Our prayer is that God would use this time to help you continue to grow in your faith. Now let's open our Bibles as the Holy Spirit unveils God's truth to our hearts. You guys, go ahead and open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I know that's not how we usually start this study in Romans, but it is how we're going to start it tonight. And then we're going to jump back over to Romans, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16, it says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, turn back over to Romans chapter 16. The reason that I bring up the 2 Timothy chapter 3 reference is because many times when people get to this place in Romans, they began to lose interest because they began reading all these greetings and, and all these salutations to all of these people who, half of them, you can't pronounce their name. You don't know who they are. You don't know what their importance is. And so a lot of times we miss the lesson in this. And, and I don't want you to do that tonight. That's why I'm taking you to, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to remind you of that big word, all. Right? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All of it. And so when we get to this part, I don't want you to tune out. Because we're leaving and we have left the doctrinal studies and the, the theology that was so rich in Romans. We're, we're going to see some important lessons tonight. And, and many times, like I said, you'll read over this and you'll go, man, that, there's not really a whole lot to that. It's a bunch of people, a bunch of names. I want you tonight to see that there's a lot more going on here when we really study the Scriptures for what the Scriptures say and for the fact that God says all of this has been God-breathed. This is here for a purpose. So we're going to see what that purpose is. And Paul's going to teach us some things tonight. But he's closing this letter which was so rich in, in theology and doctrine all the teachings that these people needed. He's unveiled God's instructions, God's will to them about certain issues and things. And he's now going to express his deep devotion, um, not only to God, but to the church at Rome, to these people. And what he's going to do in this, he's going to expose his true heart for them. And what a leader. What a leader Paul is going to, to show us that he is today. And what an example. Um, he's going to couple sound doctrine that he's been teaching, good theology, with a heart for God's people. The reason that it's important that we see this is because it's often a missing element in churches. Uh, there are churches who have sound doctrine. The pastor might be a great teacher, but he doesn't have a lot of love for the people. He, he doesn't have a heart for the people. Or there may be a church where they have a heart for the people and they don't have sound doctrine and sound teaching. Paul is going to show us Tonight, the importance of both, and he's going to—he's been showing us the importance, of course, throughout this of, of sound doctrine, and sound teaching. But he's going to show us the importance of not only having a heart for God, but also having a heart uh, for people and for the people of God. So, I want us to get those lessons out of this as we read and as we study uh, again the, the letter, the epistle to the Roman church, 
He's going to be closing this out. He's going to get very personal here tonight. And I love it. Uh, I got excited when I started, again, reading all of these names, people I don't know. Because they, they were real people who were in a real church, just like me, just like you. And Paul was doing what a good leader does. He's showing him, I not only have, I not only have a heart for God, I got a heart for you guys. And he mentions them by name. Can you imagine if you were there at the church of Rome and they were reading you this letter that just came from the apostle Paul? And it says, and greetings, my brother, Kurt. And that would mean something, wouldn't it? Would that be encouraging that he took the time, uh, to, to put my name in there and to recognize, hey, I'm doing something for the glory of God, and it's, it's, it's known, and it's being seen, and that would be encouraging. So we're going to see Paul reveals his heart to the people in that way. Let's read that together. Romans 16, verse 1. He says, I commend you to, to our sister Phoebe, servant of the church in Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Amphilatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend, Statius. Greet Apellus, Tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. You can see these people are all dear to Paul in some way. He says, Greet Asyncritus, Philagon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. He says in verse 16, Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Now, if we were just to stop there and to not realize what Paul is doing, if we were just to say, well, well, this Paul, not a real man, these people, not real people, they're just, you know, figments of our imagination, or this is just a fairy tale, uh, we could stop and go, okay, what's the point? However, we know this, at least I hope you know this, this is truth. This is God-breathed truth. 
there's a point behind this, and that point is Paul is, is showing his true heart. Paul knew this. In fact, he's the one who wrote this. That if I do all of these great things but have not love, he says, I'm just a clanging gong. I'm just noise. So what Paul is doing is he's expressing his heart toward these believers at Rome. And his heart for God's people is evident. And I want us to break that down as we jump from different person to different person that was mentioned here. I want us to see some things and to really examine the heart of Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles here and see that he has a heart for God's people. And this heart for God's people is a heart that, number one, encourages outwardly. A heart that encourages outwardly. This whole section of Romans is for no other reason than to encourage the brothers and sisters there at Rome, those believers who were going to receive this letter and it was going to be in their hand. They were going to look at it. They were going to read it. They were going to hold on to it. They were going to copy it. They were going to pass it on to other churches. We see the whole point of this ending session section of this is to encourage outwardly uh, to share words from the heart because this was Paul's heart. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, it says this in verse 1, When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for, for, the, for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through the area speaking many words of encouragement to the people. And finally, arrive in Greece. We see Paul here in Acts encouraging the believers that were there with him, then leaving them, traveling on, and then encouraging the people that he came in contact with in all the other areas that he ministered. He was an encourager. What an example to us. He didn't stop with just, here, I'm going to give you some good theology. I'm going to give you some good teaching. I'm going to give you God's commands and His truths and then never encourage you. I'm going to take the time to encourage you and to encourage you outwardly. He wasn't ashamed to do that. Um, these words from his heart encourage. Uh, they encourage these believers who would receive this. Uh, we see that they encourage acceptance and assurance in the body of Christ. Verse 1 and 2, he's talking there about Phoebe. He says, I commend, you, our sister, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of, of the church, in Centria, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. Paul was encouraging the church at Rome with Phoebe and what she had to offer. He was encouraging them to accept her, uh, to unify with her in the cause of Christ, to accept her assistance to the body there to accept her gifts, to accept everything that she had in order to bring God glory. He was recommending that she be accepted to them because she was accepted by Him. How encouraging is that? Can you imagine when Phoebe was united with these believers and she was there and she was treated as family because the Apostle Paul encouraged them to treat her and to accept her as such? So Paul was recommending this acceptance uh, to those and for those who have been proven um, as true brothers and sisters in Christ. And he was urging others uh, to help, uh, to help with those who are in the body who are in need and to accept those who are willing to do that. 
we see that he was encouraging through acceptance and assistance in the body. But then we see this. He was also encouraging to the body by recognizing uh, their hard work for Christ. Uh, he, he mentions this several times, but verse 6 is the first time in verse 16, I mean chapter 16, verse 6, he says, Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. He recognizes a woman named Mary for her hard work. And we don't know much about this woman. In fact, we don't know who she is, but Paul knows who she is. The church at Rome knows who she is. And Paul is recognizing and encouraging her with the fact that he's recognizing her hard work. Verse 9, same thing. He says, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend, Statius. He's recognizing their hard work and encouraging them to keep on keeping on. Now, can you imagine if Paul didn't recognize them? They get this letter, all this hard work I've done, and the Apostle Paul didn't even mention that I've been doing it, right? It could have fallen like that, couldn't it? But I'm sure they were thankful to open this letter and to hear this letter and to know, you know what? The work we're doing is not unnoticed. It's not for no reason at all. Verse 12, again, he says, Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Now, I don't know this, but I'm assuming they're sisters, because if you're Tryphena and you're Tryphosa, you got to be sisters, right? But he's recognizing them as hard-working women for the Lord. What he's doing is, He's not giving glory to people. He's giving glory to the Lord for the hard work of these people. And that's very encouraging. He was recognizing their hard work. And we know this. We've seen his heart this whole time. And I guarantee you the reason that he was recognizing their hard work is so that they could praise God and give God the glory for that recognition. But he was encouraging them by acknowledging their hard work specifically. He mentioned them by name. Again, not to highlight them, as much as to highlight the work that God was doing in and through them. So what does this have to do with us, Kurt? We need to do the same thing in the body of believers. When we see those brothers and those sisters who are working hard for the Lord, you can see that they're diligently serving Him. They're behind the plow. They are, they are treading out the grain. Listen, go up to them. Tell them, man, I appreciate the work that you're doing for the Lord. When somebody leads your reach group and you learn something from them, don't be afraid to tell them, thank you so much for your diligent study and your hard work. You've helped me grow in the faith. You guys who are leading those groups, don't be afraid to tell that, that younger believer who's growing in Christ when you see them growing, man, I noticed that your life is changing. I saw you serving the Lord. And, and that's, that's very important that we pr produce fruits of service. And I see, I see your heart to work for the Lord. Don't be afraid to encourage other people. I know what you think. You think, well, if I tell them they're doing good, they might get the big head. And they might. But if they're right in their own heart, what they're going to do is they're going to say all glory and all honor and all praise to Christ and Christ alone because there's nothing good in me. Now, that encouragement is always appreciated. I have people who try to encourage me Sunday morning. They'll say, man, that was a great sermon. My response generally is this. I plagiarized the whole thing. But thank you. Is it any less encouraging to me? No, it's very encouraging to me. But I know better than to take the credit. I know that the good works that come out of my life 
are the good works which God has prepared in advance for me to do. He gets all the glory. He gets all the credit for that. I don't want that to be insulting when that's my response. I want you to understand. Thank you for the encouragement. But I give all glory, honor, and praise to Him. Why? Soli Deo Gloria. We learned about that 80-something weeks ago. right? So Paul is encouraging outwardly this body of believers. He's calling them by name. Look in your life. And this is something that God has over and over and over again uh, through His Word and studying His Word and, and seeing people encouraging other believers. It's something that He has shown me. Hey, look for those people who are working for the Lord. Maybe they're the ones who, who are doing things that aren't so flashy. Notice their hard work and tell them, hey, thanks. I know this, when I'm here, on lots of times it's on Fridays and I walk down the hallway and I hear the vacuum cleaner going or I hear someone in the restrooms uh, scrubbing away at the toilets. I can tell you this, and I, I mean this with all my heart, their job in serving the Lord through cleaning this building is no less important than my job in being the pastor of this church. We are all called and gifted to serve in our own capacity, which God has given us to serve in. So I, I, I love to take the time just to say, hey, thank you so much for doing that. And they'll usually say this, oh, it's not a big deal. Well, it is a big deal when I go in there and the restrooms are clean. It is a big deal when I go in there and soap and the soap dispensers. It is a big deal when I pull a paper towel and there's actually paper towels in there. Thank you so much for what you do. Now, I'm not worried about them getting the big head, right? Who could get the big head? Yeah, I, I scrubbed the toilets at that church. Um, I'm, not wor- I'm not worried about that. What I hope that they do, I hope that they say, thank you, Lord, that my hard work didn't go unnoticed because I'm not doing it for Kirk. I'm doing it for you. Thank you, Lord, for reminding me that what I'm doing is worthwhile. So I would encourage you men, as Paul is encouraging the church here, look for those opportunities, especially especially you more mature uh, believers in Christ. Look for that brother who's growing in his faith. Don't be afraid to encourage him. I know this, looking back on my life, I am so thankful for those people that God put in my life who said, man, you keep doing what you're doing. You keep on keeping on. You keep on pressing on. You know, your, your work that you're doing for the Lord is not unnoticed. Not that you're a big deal, Kirk, because you're not. But God's using you. Because I, I know this, if you really have a heart for God, your heart is that God would use you. That God would use you for whatever it is that He sees fit to use you for, but He would use you for His glory. And if you're a true believer here today, that's going to be your heart. So I can't imagine uh, being these people that we've mentioned as far as Paul recognizing uh, Phoebe, you know, uh, telling the church at Rome, accept her because I accept her. She, she's, she's a good person to have on your team. Can you imagine getting that recommendation from the Apostle Paul? That's a pretty big deal in the church world, right? Huh? Hey, Phoebe's coming and Phoebe's going to bring something that is going to help you. And she's served alongside of me and I know what she's capable of. And also, here's some other people who have worked hard in Christ. And I want to encourage them outwardly. Because I want them to keep on keeping on. Because what would happen if all of us got discouraged at some point in time? Let's ask this. How many of you are prone to discouragement? I promise you, if you're a human in this world, in this room today, you're prone to discouragement to some degree. Now, we learned this, didn't we, in this study in Romans, that what are we here to do? We're to edify one another. We know this, to edify Christ. But secondly, we're to edify one another in the body of Christ. How do we do that? We encourage each other outwardly, right? Now, thank you for thinking good, encouraging thoughts, but I didn't know that. I didn't hear those. 
It means so much more when you, you know, you write a little note. Hey, Pastor, thank you for X. Hey, brother in the Lord who's in my reach group, thank you for what you shared last week because that helped me this week in my walk with Christ. Hey, reach group leader, thank you so much for, for devoting your time every week to committing to teaching us so that we grow in our faith in Christ. Hey, thank you, worship pastor, for every week leading us in song to prepare our hearts to hear the Word. You see how this works in Christ? Thank you. Guys, you men in this room, but you come every week and you mow the grass and you weed eat and you pick up trash. Why do you do those things? You don't do those things because you like to do those things, right? Because we would much rather be fishing, but you do those things in service to the Lord. And I say this as your pastor, thank you. I try to tell those guys every time I see them, hey, thank you so much for doing this. Not a big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. It's one thing that I don't have to worry about. When I pull up on a Sunday morning, it looks like we have professional lawn crews and maintenance crews who take care of, of, of our um, property and our facilities here. Why? Because you care about the Lord. That's what that says to me. They care about the Lord and what He's entrusted them with. So Paul takes the time to encourage outwardly. Remember that in your Christian walk. There is somebody who needs encouragement. Don't be afraid. Don't be too macho. Put your arm around them. Say, brother, you keep on keeping on. God's going to use you. Stay focused. Keep your eyes on Christ. Stay in His Word. Stay on your knees. Keep doing what you're doing. So, we see he has a heart to encourage outwardly. He, again, starts off with that, and this is the whole theme of what he's saying here. But secondly, I want you to see this. He exhibits gratitude. Not only does he encourage outwardly, he exhibits gratitude. Uh, these are words from his heart, uh, exhibiting thanksgiving, or what we know as gratitude. Um, number one, for the sacrifice of others. For the sacrifice of others. Now, here's Paul who suffered all sorts of things. And he could be sitting there saying, yeah, you may suffer a little, but none of y'all have suffered like me. I haven't heard of any shipwrecks that you've been in. I haven't heard of anybody, any of you being trapped on a deserted island. I haven't heard of any of you being tortured by a Roman centurion. Uh, he doesn't take that approach. He's not trying to be better than anyone else. What he's trying to do, he's trying to thank them for their, their willingness to sacrifice. In fact, verse, verses 3 and 4 says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Well, they should be. If they risk their lives for them, they should be grateful, shouldn't they? Paul's not afraid to recognize them and to approach them with a heart of gratitude. Uh, this husband and wife couple, we, we know this couple from Acts chapter 18, um, where we first see Priscilla and Aquila. And we know that they came in contact with Paul in Corinth. And there was that relationship in the Lord. And he mentions them again in the Roman letter. So that they know that he's thankful for their service. In fact, he says, to be real honest with you, these folks risked their lives for me. They risked it all to help Paul continue in his gospel work and his gospel ministry to the Gentiles. So he recognizes the sacrifice of others by recognizing Aquila and Priscilla. Then in verse 13, it says this. Verse 13, it says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. He mentions a guy named Rufus. 
and his mother. Rufus, very interesting name. Most scholars tend to believe this. And this is just a helpful tidbit for you. Something to research. Most scholars believe that this Rufus that is mentioned here by Paul is the same Rufus who is the son of Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene, if that name sounds familiar, that's the name of the man who the Roman soldiers told to carry Jesus' cross to Golgotha. He had two sons there. If you want to look at it, turn in your Bibles and you can look at Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, verse 21, said a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander, and Rufus was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. Most scholars would agree that this Rufus is the same Rufus. And I I find that amazing that here now Rufus is grown and is serving the Lord. Can you imagine um, this young man watching his own father carry the cross of Jesus Christ all the way up the hill of Golgotha as a young boy or a young child? The influence that would have had on his life. And now, here we are, years later, Rufus now a grown man there in Rome serving the Lord. And Paul recognizes his sacrifice, not only his sacrifice, but he recognizes the sacrifice of his mother as well. Paul says, she's like a mother to me. What does that mean? Anybody who knows a good mother knows this. That's a person of sacrifice. You've never met a good mother who does not sacrifice for her children. And so Paul understood that and he recognizes those two there for their sacrifice, along with Priscilla and Aquila, who were willing to risk it all to protect Paul and the church. And he's letting these individuals know, hey, your sacrifice, just like he let the, those who were working hard, he let their hard work be recognized. He's letting these people know, your sacrifice didn't go unnoticed. It wasn't for no reason. Thank you so much for that sacrifice. He's grateful. He's showing that attitude of gratitude as he's exhibiting thanksgiving uh, to these folks. And letting the whole body of Christ know. Right? Because they're going to read this letter to everybody in Rome. They're going to pass it around. Guess what? We have it here today because it's been passed through the churches all these 2,000 years. And we know this, that Paul exhibited gratitude toward these people for what they had done in their sacrifice for the Lord and for others, including himself. He's letting them know he appreciates it. We see that he gives these words, these these exhibits of gratitude toward those who sacrifice for others. But also, um, he exhibits gratitude for the example displayed by others. We we saw her in verse 1 again, and I'll mention her again, Phoebe. She was a servant. She was sacrificing and giving for the Lord in her service. He recognized her for that. She was an example for others to follow. Verse 5, we see another. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. He's recognizing the example of others, and he is saying that he is thankful for that. He looks at this person, Eponidas, and he recognizes this. You are in Christ as the first convert to Christ in the whole province of Asia. That's a pretty amazing deal, isn't it? Paul says to him, I see the example that you've given. Why is it so important? 
that he recognizes him as the first convert. Because he's still walking in faith in Jesus Christ. There is no apostasy here. He is recognizing the fact that you have been faithful even though you were the first to believe. You have not abandoned. You have not turned away from Christ. And that is something that I am thankful for. The example that you have displayed to others. Verse 7. It says, Greet Andronicus, Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. He again gives thanksgiving, gratitude for the example. The example of these in verse 7. Andronicus, Junius, who he says, my relatives. We don't know exactly how they were related. But he, he says, you've been in prison with me. And that they are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. He's recognizing the example that they have given throughout the course of time. That they, again, too, have been faithful to Christ. Their example of service, their example of sacrifice, Paul is exhibiting thanksgiving for these people. That heart of gratitude. Let me tell you this, guys. We as men in Christ, we need to display a heart of gratitude to others when we have the opportunity. Let people know that you are thankful to God for them. Don't be afraid to do that. I don't care if you have to write a text or you write a letter. If you're old school like me, an email. Or the preferred way, go up to them, give them a hug. We're going to talk about the holy kiss in a moment. Give them a hug and tell them, Brother, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. When that person prays for you, and you know that they're praying for you, and you know that it is God's strength that is given to you because those people who have been earnest in prayer have petitioned God on your behalf, go back and tell those people, thank you so much for your prayers. Go back to those people in your life who God has used, those faithful people. Go back to them. Find them. Tell them. My mentor, Bobby Clark, you hear me talk about him all the time. He's, he's gone to be with the Lord. I wish I could tell him, one more time, just how thankful that I am to God for Him. Just to look Him in the eye one more time and say, thank you, Bobby. Thank you for all that you taught me. Thank you for taking a young guy under your wing and teaching me all the things that you taught me and giving me uh, direction and a hunger for the Word of God and a hunger for theology. Thank you for that. Don't be afraid to go back and tell those people who have helped you along the way in your faith. Paul says, hey, they were... They were before me in Christ. These people have been an example to me. That's exactly what he's saying. And he's saying, I'm thankful for that example. Don't be afraid. Again, don't be too macho to go back and to say those things. When someone teaches you something in the Word of God, let them know, hey, I'm thankful. Because that helped me. What God showed you, God used to help me. And I'm thankful for that. So he exhibits this heart of gratitude. He exhibited the heart that encourages outwardly. Thirdly, we see this. He's going to exhibit a heart that extols faithfulness or commends faithfulness. We see in verse 10, the first part, he says, Greet Apelles, tested and improved in Christ. Tested and approved in Christ. He is mentioning this man, Apelles, or Apelles, 
And he's talking about how he has been tested and he has been approved in Christ. These are words from his heart commending this man for his faithfulness in testing and being approved. We know this. He's, he's talking about trials. Because that's where we're really tested, isn't it? How many of you understand that? In the Christian life, it is in the trial that you are tested. He's talking about how Apelles has stayed faithful in the midst of even difficult trials and testing. We know James tells us this in James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He is commending Apelles here. He is commending him for his faithfulness in the trials. Not only in the trials, but for the fact that he came through the trials and now he is seen as approved. He says you have been tested and approved in Christ. Tested and approved in Christ. Paul says, we now approve of you. Because we have seen you persevere. Did you know this? That is the mark of a true believer. You're going to persevere through trials. Someone who makes a profession of faith and the first time something difficult happens, they drop out of the church and turn their back on the things of the Lord. Write this down. They weren't truly saved. They are not approved. Jesus teaches that in the parable of the soil. Things of this earth choke them out. The perseverance came and they couldn't stand under the... I mean, the... Uh, the trials came and they couldn't stand under the perseverance that was required. And so it marks them as not true believers. He's saying the opposite about Apelles here. He's saying, you've been approved. You've shown yourself approved. Isn't that what Paul tells Timothy? To show himself approved, a workman rightly dividing the word of truth. We, we who have learned what that scripture means, we know this, that word approved is Dakimas, and what it means is exactly what we say in English, approved. Paul is telling Timothy to show yourself approved as someone who's truly called to preach. Now, he's saying this about Apelles, you have shown yourself approved as a true brother in Christ because you have endured the test and you have persevered through those tests. Paul makes sure that he takes the time to commend this brother about the trials and suffering, the tests that he faced, and to commend him for persevering through the adversity and remaining faithful. That's how we know if we're truly approved. Do we remain faithful as we persevere through the trials and the struggles of the Christian life? Hebrews chapter 10 says this about perseverance. Verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a very, very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. Watch what he says next. Talking to the real believers. And he's talking there to the Hebrews. And he's saying this. He's saying there in the letter of Hebrews, he's saying that there is apostasy and there is real apostasy. And you're going to know an apostate because they're going to shrink back. They're going to drift away. But he says this about the true believer in verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, 
but of those who believe and are saved. The approved will always believe and they will always persevere in the faith till the end. Understand that doctrine. This is not the first time we have talked about it in this study. What Paul is doing here is he is commending Apelles, or Apelles, he is commending him for his perseverance. So he extols faithfulness. Now, we as men of God should do the same. We should encourage and commend others in their faithfulness. Encourage them to keep on keeping on. Encourage them to persevere in the faith. You say, well, if they're truly saved, won't they persevere anyways? Yes, they will ultimately. But God has placed you in their lives as a tool to encourage them as they are persevering. Make sense? So encourage those brothers in Christ. Commend them that they would be faithful, persevere, continue in the midst of trials to the other side. Well, we can look back on their life one day. Oh, what a commendation it will be on that day when someone gets to stand at your funeral and not feel like they have to lie. They can stand confidently at your funeral and say, He has fought the good fight. He has finished the race. He has kept the faith. He has persevered all the way to the end. He is approved. And because He is approved through perseverance, I can confidently say that He is now with the Lord. You don't get to say that many times these days at funerals, do you? Guys, live lives so your funerals will look different. Right? So, so people won't have to be speechless at your funeral. They can talk about your glorious Savior. Talk about the hope that you have in Him. Talk about how you persevered through the trials and the storms of life and you came out on the other side approved. A true child of God who has the hope of eternal life. Paul wanted to commend these people here, especially there in verse 10, Apelles. He wanted to commend him for that faithfulness. The next thing that we see, number four, Paul continues. And in this one, we see his heart, and it is a heart that expresses love. A heart that expresses love. These words from his heart, Express love over and over and over again. He didn't have to write one single name down. Right? He could have said, I am the Apostle Paul. All of you need to listen to me because I carry some weight. I am the Apostle to the Gentiles. But he didn't approach things in a non-affectionate manner, did he? No, he wanted them to know, we're co-laborers in Christ. We're friends. We're brothers. We're sisters. We're all doing what we're doing for the cause of Christ. And I want you folks to know, each and every one of you, I want you to know that I have a deep affection for you. And these words from his heart relay that deep Christian affection. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, he greets Amphilitus. I hope that's right. Whom I love in the Lord. Whom I love in the Lord. He's not talking about mushy, syrupy, Hollywood kind of love. Okay? That's why he says, whom I love in the Lord. This is deep Christian affection. Love in the Lord. What is that? John chapter 13, Jesus teaches us about this. Verse 34, He says, a new command I give you. Love one another 
as I have loved you. Verse 34. So you must love one another. And he says in verse 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's talking about that deep Christian affection. Right? The lost world ought to look into this room and say, what is all of that affection that these men have for each other? What is that? What, what, they ought to look on a Sunday morning. What is this affection that is so foreign to us that these people have for one another? Why is that lady grabbing that other lady by the hand with tears in their eyes, going to the altar and praying? Why is that man hugging that other man? This is not normal stuff. It shouldn't be normal stuff, should it? It should be that deep Christian affection that Paul is approaching the church at Rome with. That John 13, loving each other as Christ has commanded us to do as He has loved us. John 15, verse 12. Jesus says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then He says in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that He laid down His life for His friends. Isn't Christ the example of how we ought to love? What is laying down our lives for our friends? It's sacrificial love. It's not just limited to just death. It could be that you have to sacrifice from your pocket to help a brother, to help a sister. It could be that you have to sacrifice from your own pocket to help a missionary who is another brother in Christ who's overseas struggling and, and striving to teach and to preach the Gospel. It is that true, deep Christian affection that he is displaying here as he is expressing his love to the church at Rome. It is that deep, godly affection that is so foreign to the world and it's beyond just basic human feelings and emotions. It's so foreign to the lost person. Unfortunately, it's seemingly in our time even foreign to so-called churches. It shouldn't be that way, should it? This should be a place where we as brothers have a deep, godly Christian affection for one another. That doesn't make us weak. That doesn't make us feminine. In fact, what it does, it makes the entire body stronger. Why? Because we are walking in obedience to what the Lord has commanded. We are loving others just as He has loved us. One example Paul is giving here to let people know, hey, I, I love you with, with deep Christian affection. I love you in the Lord. And we see this also, him expressing his love, not only through that deep Christian affection that he shows there, but we see a devotion to showing that affection. How many of you know it doesn't do any good if you just say you love someone? Right? If I just told Austin, hey Austin, I love you, and I knew he was in a bind, and I didn't help him with the bind that he was in, and I had the resources to help him, or could get the resources to help him, do I really love him, or did I just tell him what I wanted him to hear? I just told him what I wanted him to hear. Paul shows a devotion uh, to showing affection. Look at the second part of verse 10 here. He says, Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, Narcissus who are in the Lord. He's showing affection. He's wanting them all to know. When he says, I am greeting you, and he names their name, he is giving them a long-distance show of affection. He is saying, I'm not there. 
We already know this. He's, he's told the church at Rome, I want to come there, but I'm not there. So what I'm doing is I'm giving you my love the best way that I can. Verse 14, greet Asyncritus, Syncritus, Pelagian, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerissus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with him. In case I left anyone out, he says, and all the rest of them. All those, I don't even know your name yet. All those who I haven't even met. Now, what Paul is doing here, you say, well, he's just telling these people. That's the best he can do right now. But when we look at that word that he's using, he's saying to greet them. Paul is actually showing them, again, from a distance. He's saying, as we would say, right? When you're talking to a relative on the phone, you're talking to your grandfather, your grandmother's not there. And you say this, give grandma a hug for me. You're wanting grandma to know, you don't just say, tell grandma I love her. You might say that, tell grandma I love her. Give her a hug for me. Or give her a hug from me. This is exactly what Paul's doing when he greets all these people here. And he, he even wraps it up with, and all the other ones who I haven't been able to mention by name. He's saying, I'm embracing you. I'm embracing you as my brothers, as my sisters in Christ. I am showing you that I love you. I am giving you also the example to express that kind of love to others. Expressed in our affectionate words, for sure. Tell people that you love them. You know why? One day you won't be able to. So tell them that you love them especially brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't be afraid of that term. But let me tell you this. Don't tell them you love them if you're not willing to show them that you love them as well. Because if you just tell them, we know this, that's just words. True love, true Christian love, will contain words, but it also will be expressed in our actions. He expressed it in His affectionate words, but He also is expressing it, expressing it in His actions. He's showing them. He has shown them. He has, shown, he has shown them His love for God and His love for others by His actions throughout His whole life and ministry. That's why they respect Him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Is it saying, don't tell someone you love them? No. It's saying, don't just tell someone that you love them. Show them by expressing it in action. Don't let your talk of love, or your talk of Christian love, be the extent of your Christian love. Right? Be that person who not only tells people that you love them, but be a Christian who looks for opportunities to show them. Right? When you see the widow woman in our congregation, you tell her at the end of the service, you give her that hug, I love you, I'll see you next week. Check on her throughout the week. See if there's anything you can do for her to show her that you love her. Go by her house. Is the grass a little high? Hey, guess what? It won't hurt you. Get out and push most some grass for the glory of God. Why? To show her that you love her. Paul was taking the time to express his love both in words and in actions. He's saying, greet all these people for me. Embrace them with Christian love in my place because I can't be there right now. We know this. His heart was to be there. He was longing 
to see these people so that he could actually put his arms around them. We're going to see he mentions this, right? At the end of this, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. If Paul wasn't about showing love, he sure wouldn't have put this statement in there. Now, before all of you get weird, don't come up and greet me with a holy kiss. Okay? I'm just telling you right now, it's not the time or the hour. Right? You come and greet me with a holy kiss, I might think that you're on the swim team. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? That's not our custom. We understand that, right? That's not our custom. That was their custom of the day. They would come up and kiss each other on the forehead, kiss each other on the cheek. That was a sign of outward affection. We know today, man, we may hug a guy. You know, we'll do the side hug, slap somebody on the back, we'll shake their hand, shake their hand, look them in the eye, tell them that you love them in Christ, tell them that you're praying for them. We know in our culture how we express affection to men properly, right? We know that that's not our culture and how we do things. Now, if you want to do that, that's fine, but you got to check with the guy first who you're about to give the holy kiss to to make sure it's okay. But what we can do, can we still express affection as men? Listen, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let all of our crazy cultural ideology keep us from doing that. When I pray with a brother in Christ, I'm going to hug him. I'm going to cry on his shoulder. He's going to cry on my shoulder. There's not going to be anything feminine about that or anything not masculine about that or anything homosexual about that. Right? What that's going to be, it's going to be two men who care about each other and who love the Lord, who are petitioning a holy God for whatever need it is that that brother has. And you know what? For a Christian, there is no greater love than when you take the time to just put your arm around them and pray for them. Man, brother, I know you're going through a hard time. Like when you're sitting in here and somebody's telling you, man, I just got laid off. As Christian brothers, you know what you ought to do? You ought to put your arm around him before you leave tonight. You ought to put your arm around him and say, man, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord with this because that's the only place we can go to, isn't it? He's in control of everything. I want you to know that I love you and I want you to know even more than that. He loves you and, and we're going to trust Him together. Can we do that? You put your arm around each other. If you feel more macho, you can do the half. How you do it like this. You can do this, this, this handshake thing right here. You know, Whatever you have to do. There's nothing wrong with good, positive touch to affirm, hey, I do love you. You know, to pat Him on the back. Hey, God's got this situation. God's going to take care of it. You just keep trusting in Him. Paul wasn't afraid to express love through his words, but also through his actions. We've got to do the same, man. Um, We've we got to do, do the same. We have to show each other and tell each other in Christ. We love each other, right? And I love Dario. And I love Austin. Michael Klein. Right here in his seat tonight, right? And I love these guys. Why do I love these guys? Because because they're perfect and they're easy to love? No. I love those guys because of Christ. Did, did, did Christ wait till I was perfect before He loved me? No, He would have never loved me. Right? It is His love that actually perfects me. We want to see the unity in the body of Christ. We want to see that grow stronger as Paul has been teaching us uh, these last several months about unity in the body of Christ. You want to see that happen like you've never seen it before? Learn to tell each other that you love each other. Don't get weirded out by it. I, I've had people where I tell them, man, I love you, and they're like, well, that's weird. Put my arm around them, they kind of freeze up. It's okay. It's okay. In fact, what Paul is saying there in that last verse, 16, when he says, greet one another with the holy kiss, he's saying, 
Don't let your talk of love be absent from the display of love. How would that work in your home with your wife? If you just told her you loved her, but you never showed her, you think she's buying it? Huh? It doesn't work with us either, does it? When you really get down to it. You need to know that that brother who says that he loves you, he's going to be right there in the trenches with you. He's going to be the one suffering with you, as Paul has mentioned others. He's going to be the one who's laying down his life potentially for you and for the church. Uh, We want to know those things. Those things keep us moving. They keep us driving in the right direction. So, I told you when we looked at this, all scriptures God breathed. Who thought you'd get all this out of all these greetings and all these difficult to pronounce names? But I want you to see the heart of Paul. I don't, I don't want you to leave this study. And I can tell you this. Many of you have learned and have become doctrinally sound through the study in Romans. I told you that was what was going to happen when we started. I've seen the fruit of it. But I want you not to miss the heart behind all of this. Why did Paul do all this? Why did he take the time to sit down and write everything that we have studied up until this point? Because he had a heart for God and a heart for God's people. Don't settle for having a heart for God. That's just half of the equation. right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says this sums up all of the law and the prophets. What an example we have seen tonight of the Apostle Paul who had a heart for God. We've seen over the past year plus, almost two years I guess, or definitely somewhere along those lines of his heart for God, teaching God's Word. But I'm thankful that it didn't just stop there, that he did take the time under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Right? This was God-breathed. God wanted us to see this. Not only did he have a heart for God, he had a heart for people. If you're going to be effective in bringing God glory, you have to have both. A heart for God, a heart for people. My prayer is this, that you see this lesson tonight, that it speaks to you, and that you would live out the example that Paul has given us to live out. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the love that you give us in Christ, the love that you demonstrated for us, to us, on the cross. God, I just pray for anyone here who does not know the true love of God in Christ, that today Your Spirit would draw them to a right relationship with You in Jesus Christ, that You would convict them of their sin, that You would quicken their dead soul, that You would give them faith to believe and to repent, and that they would trust in Christ this very day. God, I thank You for each man who's here. I pray that they see the example from Your Word of the Apostle Paul's heart for God and for God's people, that we would live our lives according to that pattern and that example. We know this, that His example was You. Lord, I pray this, that we too would see You and then see the Apostle Paul as he followed You, and that we would see both as examples of how we are to live to bring God glory and honor and praise. And Lord, is that the generations who follow after us would see our love for God and our love for others because we saw Paul's love for God and love for others because he saw Christ's love for God and love for others. May we be diligent in showing that love in every area of our lives. And may we always give you the glory for it. We thank you and we praise you. 
We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you have grown through the teaching of God's Word. If you would like to find out more information about Key Life Fellowship, visit our website, keylifefellowship.com, or you can email us at info at keylifefellowship.org. We would love for you to join us in person. Our men's Bible study meets every Thursday night at 7 p.m. here at the Key Life Fellowship campus located in New Caney, Texas. Or feel free to join us at one of our Sunday worship services as well. As we conclude today's lesson, I will leave you with one reminder. Go out and be the light in a lost, dark world.